when he introduced me to his science colleagues at this conference I was performing at, he said, this is now the first ever rap show that's peer reviewed. <laughs> and it got a laugh. And on, I'm standing there on stage about to start the performance. And I'm like, that's my brand. This is The Green Pill, a podcast about the planet and the surprisingly diverse people working to fix it. I'm your host, Chris Newman, a medical doctor and environmentalist from London. And today's guest is the one and only Baba Brinkman. I went down to the Brighton Fringe on the south coast of the UK to see him perform a show called Consciousness. And I was absolutely blown away by the depth of the information he's able to convey in his raps. And his freestyling is just, it's amazing. And if you saw him on uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson's show, uh, Star Talk, wow. In the interview, we'll hear a couple of his tracks. And we also got treated to a bit of freestyle rap about Charles Darwin, which was nice. And um, it was a delight to see it up close, really. Anyway, here's Baba, first of all, explaining how he became a peer-reviewed rapper in the first place. Well, I have a background in comparative literature, not science, but I've been a fan of science since I was young. I took some undergraduate courses in biology and psychology and communications, and uh, I did a rap adaptation of Chaucer's Canterbury Tales as a project, not for my thesis, but after my thesis or during. After I graduated, I took that actually here to the Brighton Fringe. 2004, I was performing rap Canterbury Tales. Wow. Um, and over a couple of years of performing that around the UK at some colleges and festivals, uh, a biologist saw it and said, <laughs> could you do for Darwin what you did for Chaucer? Um, he saw the potential of rap and theater as a communication vehicle for natural selection and Darwin's legacy. And I thought that was a great challenge. So I did it. 2009, the rap Guide to Evolution came out wow. and did well at some Amazing. festivals. And other scientists would see me do Rap Guide to Evolution and they'd say, can you do consciousness? Can you do anthropology of religion? And one of them said, can you do climate change? Yeah, I've got, I've got a list for you as well. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, the, the possibilities are, are really vast for yeah. science communication via rap. And it's not something I woke up one morning and thought, this is going to be a great new thing for the world. It was me doing my little like literary translation raps. And a scientist said, you know what, you should try this. Plus, there was just a fortuitous quip that turned into a whole lane for me, which is that he had made me send him the lyrics of my songs in advance of the performance of the evolution show because he the was, biologist. Yeah, the biologist yeah. was like, I want to check that you're getting it right because people <laughs> talk about evolution, but they often misrepresent what it means yeah. or they mean like, you know, evolution of consciousness or spiritual evolution, you know, towards some progressive ideal uh, in our species or whatever. And that's usually not what it means. It means uh, differential survival of variants in a reproducing population. And so, um, you know, once I had gone through that process, when he introduced me to his science colleagues at this conference I was performing at, he said, this is now the first ever rap show that's peer reviewed. <laughs> and it got a laugh. And on, I'm standing there on stage about to start the performance. And I'm like, that's my brand, <laughs> peer reviewed rap. I love it. So it's now like on my it's website. Great. And it's, yeah. it's what I, it's what I copied, the first, world's first peer reviewed rapper. But it means each project is a whole collaboration with scientists. Yeah. And, and I, and I make sure and have the dialogue and make, and you know, get, get to the point where what I'm representing on stage is the research field's yeah. findings, not just my opinion. And that, that, it's, it's, it's amazing. Like I wish it's like when I was at school that some of the things that you rap about, you, you can really learn quite a lot from it. I mean, have, 
have educators got on board and started playing your stuff at schools and universities or not in a formal way i i i hear from teachers oh i play your video to introduce my lecture um and you know the videos are all publicly on youtube and they just have a hit count and i don't know yeah. how many of those hits are a teacher playing it for a class or just somebody that's interested <laughs> yeah. um i haven't really found a way to formalize that process and also i've always been resistant to making it for educational purposes mm. first you know when I, when i say i do science rap, people are like, oh, you mean for kids? I'm like, no, not for kids. Yeah, 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 <laughs> I, I make yeah, it for yeah. the public and I sell tickets to a show at a festival and I do it off Broadway and I want it to yeah, compete yeah, yeah. in the entertainment sphere first. Mm. And if it's also used for, for teachers, then great. But I always feel like if I make it for teachers, it will inherently, um, you know, not resonate with yeah. a wide enough crowd because yeah. people will feel that it's kind of pedagogical and like quirky and, yeah, you know, yeah. make science fun for the kids. You know, that's the kind of- People like the science guys- the YouTube channel um, where they use lots of little animations and things and it's yeah. cutesy, but well, not. I, and I like making anim animated music videos. I think animation works great as a communication tool, but the bottom line is I want to not be what people's initial default assumption of what it is. I, I, I want to, I want, and I also don't want it to, um, you know, feel like eating your vegetables. I want it to be fun. <laughs> yeah. you know, it's got to be fun. And if it's fun and it also contains a message, actually, this is this is a Chaucerian ethic. Mm. I, you know, during my master's, I was close reading the Canterbury Tales, and there's all this stuff in there about um, wherefore thou mayst have noon audience and force thee not to speak. Like, if no one's paying attention, then find a way to get their attention. You have to have sentence and solace. You have to be, you know, the the primary motive of a speaker should be to be engaging for the audience. Otherwise, it's just public wanking. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and, and that's also a very hip-hop ethic. Yeah, MC yeah. means move the crowd. So yeah, I kind yeah, of internalized yeah. all this stuff as a grad student. Like, what does it take to make a difference in the world? And, you know, I wanted to bring big ideas to the public, yeah. but in a way that they would not feel like it was heavy lifting yeah and that's that's the whole project one of my um one of the, my favorite songs from your the album on climate change i'm just going to play a little bit of it it's called carbon bubble and like i it's great how you can manage to talk about carbon taxation and make it sound relatively interesting i'm just going to pop it on cool Business doesn't have to close down to reduce emissions. It just needs a level playing field. With this competition and economic growth can continue. We don't have to stop it. It might slow down a bit, but alternatives are catastrophic. So far, the most popular is the cap and trade system. That's a decreasing total limit on greenhouse gas emissions, but with tradable permits optioned off or given away. So companies who innovate to reduce emissions get paid, which is great. Unless it's only big business capped in charge. That doesn't go far enough. What about tailpipes on cars? That's why some countries go with the carbon tax instead. A flat rate at the source where the fuel gets extracted. And that's when clean energy gets a lot more competitive. And revenues get dividended back to regular citizens. And some of it gets invested in the next round of inventions to revolutionize the energy system. Picture it. How long does that kind of song take? So each show takes around six months uh, to research and write and do a beta of. 
Um, usually what I do is commit to the first performance before I've written any of it. Yeah. And then I have this window of like, I'm going to get something on stage by this date. And then I'm just cramming reading. And there was a bunch of different books um, that were part of the research for this. Um, Climate Casino by William Nordhaus for some okay. of the economics. And um, Jim Jim Henson's book, um, Storms of My Grandchildren. And uh the Merchants of Doubt by Naomi Reskes, um, mm-hmm. the sort of the climate denial industry and stuff like that. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm reading the books and then it's sending me down rabbit holes of, you know, reading all of the climate denier blogs and the, you know, libertarian think <laughs> yeah, tanks yeah, who yeah. say, oh, yeah, it's real, but we don't have to do anything about it because the, you know, innovation will work it out and the market will take care of it even if we just sit on our heels. And, um, you know, so I kind of go down all these different rabbit holes to try to find the range of perspectives and personalities and opinions that are weighing in on the sphere and then um you know grab the ones that i think are going to resonate with people in terms of like building a case for it. not just not just like why this is a big deal but also why it's so hard yeah yeah climate yeah. is like the hardest thing and i think that's probably because it doesn't fit naturally in our psychology of risk. Yeah. You know, it, it evades all of our risk response um, instincts and we need to assemble a rational response to it. Um, even if our emotional response is faulty when yeah. it comes to reacting. Um, or as, but you know, then people differ, right? Like there's individual differences and some people have an extremely powerful emotional response. They just mm. happen to be in the minority, although yeah, it's yeah, building. Yeah. Um, and, but, and sometimes that extremely powerful emotional response, um, you know, disables the ability to rationally build coalitions around yeah, yeah, persuading yeah. people instead of just saying, ah, the world is on fire. Yeah. You know, like there, you really, because this requires a political response, it requires a civil discussion mm. and, and a policy debate. And, you know, the people who say, you know, all this policy response stuff is merely a technocratic, um, you know, distraction from the urgent need to act now. Well, you know, let's get to some details. So I wanted to sort of represent the various perspectives uh, in the album and and try to synthesize a common sense path forward. Uh, But, you know, none of the ideas in the album are original. They're me foraging for what I think are, Mm. um, you know, good evidence-based assessments of the situation and proposals for, I mean, it's all based on the IPCC, basically. Like the whole thing's been mapped out. It's there. You know, it's just whether we take it seriously. It's not that we don't know what the issue is or what some of the solutions are. It's that it's very hard to do them in the real world. It's yeah, it's the political coalition building that's very hard, right? And and yeah. and bringing conservatives around, honestly, like conservatives and libertarians. If it weren't for them, we would all be acting on climate right now. Um, but that's not to be dismissive because some of their objections are valid, uh, especially mm. ones on the like, what do we want? Economic collapse? Obviously not. You know, so there's yeah. got to be an, an an economic perspective as well. And also, like, I don't think conservatism is some kind of defect of our psychology. I think um, from reading about sort of evolutionary moral foundations theory, people legitimately differ. And actually like yeah, 50% yeah. of the difference in our political views is down to heritable variations in our genes. They yeah. know that from twin studies and adoption studies. So like, you know, yeah. people people do differ on this spectrum and there's places that common ground can be built. And I was trying to focus on that yeah, stuff yeah. For, the, for the album as well on the show. Yeah. I've, I've heard lots of things about conservative mindset being a bit more about um, when you value your in-group more, you're trying to protect it from 
the outgroup, which could bring disease, like back in the day, for sure. That's why a lot of the native Indians died. Maybe they were too liberal because they let in smallpox bringing um, Europeans, essentially. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I wouldn't say they necessarily opened the door for the Europeans. I think the door was kicked down. Um, <laughs> even the more conservative indigenous people uh, ended up having that same disease vulnerability. Yeah. But it is the case that you can actually make someone more conservative in their views by having a rotting garbage can in the room while you ask them questions. Yeah. Yeah. It's like it really, there is a degree to which it's a disgust response to mm. potential pathogens um, that has then been wired in and... That's not maladaptive, actually, because we evolved around a lot of pathogens. Um, yeah. As a doctor, you know, yeah. <laughs> infection yeah. is real. Absolutely. <laughs> it's not just a specter. Um, but of course, the ancestral environment is not the contemporary environment. Yeah. And sometimes the way our instincts are wired up doesn't serve us well in the modern yeah. world. Yeah. So that's where the policy debates have to play out. I, I, I was thinking about what it would take to... to uh, digest loads of material and loads of books and then have to figure out the rhymes it must be the best way to revise like go going slightly back to the educational theme but you have to know stuff very well to be able to figure out which different words that you can use in different places so you must have really become educated a lot in these albums it's like a whole nother master's degree every couple of years hmm. that's that's my you know not that i ever get any certificates for it um, <laughs> but by collaborating with the researchers um i do i do get um acknowledgement from them that i'm fairly well versed in the hmm. in the details of the field and yeah it's a it's like a it's like a literature review people are like what's your background science no it's comparative literature and what i had to do to write an english master's essay on a topic was read 20 uh research papers on it and synthesize an argument out of whatever i think um you know they point towards and it's very similar with these rap shows it's like okay i'm going to read all of the literature on the the neuroscience of consciousness and the various theories and um what do you need to know to understand that and then i'm kind of like you know cherry picking cherry picking is not a good word when it comes to science communication yeah, yeah, yeah. but you know like um let's say treasure hunting uh, yeah. for the jewels like the yeah. bits that are going to be intuitively graspable to a lay audience that doesn't yeah. know anything about the literature yeah. and that's why i read first before i write yeah. um you know I, I need to sort of figure out what i'm trying to say and then actually the rhymes come really easily okay I, you know i I'm a, I'm a freestyle rapper as well yeah. so um you know i could freestyle a whole show it would be um, let's say like loose in its yeah. details, <laughs> in its in its specifics, but um, just the uh, the ability to be able to rhyme that was like a precondition before I could even claim that I was an yeah, MC. Yeah. yeah, rappers are like, oh, you're an MC, eh? Let's cipher right now. They want you to prove it. You know, yeah, it's like yeah. a it's like a cheater detection function. And so once you realize that, you just got to learn. I saw you on uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson's show, um, rapping about his mustache, <laughs> which I thought was um, was brilliant. That was not premeditated. <laughs> <laughs> I was like trying to think of good punchlines for their chat, and uh, yeah, but uh, but you know th that was also in the context of um, of, of free will, and yeah. people are like they ask me why I bust raps. Well, I could no more stop rapping than Neil could shave off his mustache, uh, which is kind of <laughs> cheeky because in a way, obviously, he could shave off his mustache, and I could stop rapping. Yeah, but at this point, it's become who I am, yeah. just like that's become and who he is. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, you wouldn't recognize him without it. Exactly. Yeah, and I try to even picture what I'd be doing if I wasn't rapping. I mean, I haven't had another job for 15 years than just rapping. Uh, I don't know how that's possible with the science rap stuff, but keeps on going. Are, are there any other rappers doing anything remotely similar? Um, there's a rapper from the UK. I think he's called Consequence. 
and he did a rap about the a whole rap album about the LHC and CERN um, okay. physics and uh, what is it called now? Dark matter maybe. I have it literally like it's in my it's in my playlist and it's really good. Yeah, <laughs> but I only came across across it recently. And uh, there's so there's a few, but you know I don't think there's anyone else that is fully working in the space. Yeah, there's people that have done projects. You know, like yeah, there's yeah. a rock band called They Might Be Giants that did a whole album called Here's Come Science. Okay. It's got evolution oh, wow. songs and physics songs. And there's some YouTube channels that do like rap videos about science topics. Yeah, mostly with like rap battles and things yeah epic rap battles of history has covered some science stuff so you know there's kind of like there's people that have dipped their toes in the water are there any other like science communication rappers that are just in that lane i don't think so i don't know how much contact you have with hip-hop kind of with with like that kind of mainstream do they have any real (laughs) hip-hop i guess the things that people most most often associate with hip-hop um what does what do they do you have much contact with them what do they think of you well, I don't have much contact with super famous rappers mm-hmm. um, because like in all arts industries, there are echelons of the industry. Yeah. And so rappers with tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of fans, I am friends with because that's yeah. how many fans I have. Yeah. Uh, rappers with millions and tens of millions of fans, I am not friends with because yeah. they don't have time. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, Jay-Z and Eminem are not in my... You're not uh, doing a collabor- collaboration just yet, right? No, nah, not yet, not <laughs> yet. But, uh, yeah. um, but I do connect with the hip hop scene in New York. And everywhere mm-hmm. I've lived, I've gone to the freestyle battles and open mics and like, you know, traded bars with the rappers and earned their respect that way. Mm-hmm. And so when I'm in New York, I hang out with MCs. We mm-hmm. like play basketball together yeah. and I go to the open mic nights and freestyle and I've like taken a trope once. One battle, I, I won the whole thing and was the <laughs> champ. Uh, lots of, I've probably been to like 30 battles in the last eight years living in New York. And, um, you know, I've been in the last round a bunch of times. It's funny, every time they introduce me, they're like, Baba Brinkman is a previous champion of this tournament and I'm like no I'm not I only got to the last <laughs> round but they like think I've won uh, so yeah the the response is positive because I engage with the culture yeah, and I yeah. take it seriously and I like respect the origins and the craft and you know also just like either you can throw down or you can't yeah, and yeah, I get yeah. respect in a live setting that yeah, way yeah. but I also don't compete uh, for the same let's say economic niches, those rappers, I don't play the same venues, yeah. you know, I like, I sometimes have them guest in my shows mm-hmm. and, uh, and I go support them, but I don't, I don't play nightclubs, no. you know, and that's where they yeah. play. That must be interesting to play their shows. I, I imagine they have a different type of crowd. Yeah. They're, they're straight up hip hop crowds. You yeah. Know, they're people that they're like ethnically very diverse. Yeah. Um, the majority of the rappers are African-American in New York. Um, they're not all, some of them are Puerto Rican, some of them yeah, are white. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, it's definitely like directly evolved from the original culture, yeah. whether, or, you know, when you go to somewhere like the UK or like Canada, the people heard rappers delight in the late seventies or early eighties. <laughs> and they tried to make a local version of what they were hearing on the records, yeah, but they yeah. weren't really necessarily interacting directly yeah. with hip hop culture. They yeah. kind of like figured out how to, um, you know, transpose it onto their local situation. Yeah. But that's not the case in New York there. And plus you just meet a lot of old heads there that yeah. are like, I remember when, you know, yeah, we, yeah. Went, we went and saw Nas do his first concert or, you know, Wu-Tang, came through my friend's birthday party or you know it's just like you're like living in the in in a legend basically wow so do they kind of come up to you after the show or do people comment because what kind of because i imagine you you might do a few do a few songs right what what which ones do you do you tend to go for the ones that are a little bit more 
um, mainstream, I guess. It's not about, well, I don't know. Nothing I make is very mainstream, um, <laughs> but some of it is directly relatable uh, from a hip hop perspective. So like when I, like sometimes at a freestyle battle, you get to do like a verse to introduce yourself hmm. and I'll, and I'll say, okay, I'm Baba Brinkman. I'm from Canada. I do science rap. And then I can make a case for how Darwin's theory of natural selection is totally relevant to hip hop um, where, you know, I'll be like every time an audience chooses their favorite speaker that's like an ancient breeder rearranging the features of a species of sheep or increasing the sweetness of its peaches every season whenever you choose to seed it or defeat it or to breed it or to weed it out and delete it because you just don't see it as needed whether the preferences in question were for bigger chicken breasts or whippets with a thinner midsection or if it's just an inner predilection to pick the best in any mixed collection that's artificial selection it's like Praz said too many MCs not enough mics Darwinism <laughs> and people are like ah you know because rappers really relate to that evolutionary well, perspective of like competing for yeah. the mic and that's basically the doctrine of Malthus from yeah. the origin of species right limited yeah. resources equals uh, differentiation so um, you know I have lyrics that they're like wow I didn't think science could be relevant to my yeah. interests but that's kind of what I'm trying to make that's, that's the great. point you, you know? kind of meet them where they are yeah. right and I want you know I won't do the more technically complicated scientifically esoteric yeah. track necessarily in the like nightclub yeah, setting because yeah. people are right I mean people I know people are inherently skeptical every time I get on stage like he doesn't look like a rapper he doesn't <laughs> sound like a rapper and he's doing science rap you know this is going to be whack yeah, and yeah, my yeah. job is to convert people every time I have exactly. to like persuade them it's not as bad as they think it's going to be yeah. which kind of in in a way works to my advantage mm. uh they're know, expecting it, something horrific and it means i get to blow minds yeah it also means it's hard to get people through the door yeah you know what i mean yeah. like i have a, yeah. i have a i have a challenge trying to persuade people to come check the show out once they come they usually really love it but that's i guess that's where you're having friends in the in the scene and going to rap battles and getting in on their shows kind of helps to come in under the radar. Yeah, I don't know if it really helps with my ticket sales. I have a regular residency at the uh, Soho Playhouse in New York and yeah. you know the but the tickets are like $39 yeah. main price yeah. and $20 half price and it's like the people that are really spending that on a show that's like an 80 minute like theatrical hip hop production about science not necessarily the same people that are going to like yeah. go to a, a hip hop club and you yeah. know drink and groove groove to Cardi yeah, B yeah, or whatever yeah. you know what I mean like some there's some crossover uh but I don't I don't know that I've really like won a huge following off of the hip-hop battles that's more like I really I really feel it's important to connect with the culture and I like mm. the rappers that I've met they've become my friends yeah. and I like respect their hustle um and a lot of them have come to see my show but it's funny how the like hip-hop and theater worlds in New York kind of overlap a little in yeah, the Venn yeah. diagram, but they're yeah. staying pretty different. Yeah. Well, Hamilton you, you, is you are the You are the, the mix. And, and Hamilton. Hamilton. I mean, Hamilton is much more the mix because Hamilton yeah. brought a whole lot of people that never would have took rap seriously mm. into, okay, now I see rap as an art form. Yeah. You know, it's not just that noise that I try to avoid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A lot of hip hop that people hear is a lot about guns, bitches and bling and all that, you know, all that kind of like... Um, hiring a really expensive car to make yourself look like you're really doing well and the fun stuff the, the fun <laughs> stuff but i guess um a lot of the more conscious kind of um caring kind of rap stuff um is about dif making dif tough decisions and not doing stuff when you know when you kind of want to um how do you see that kind of difference i guess between 
Well, I think I think that tension that you're describing has been part of hip hop culture right since the beginning. Mm-hmm. If you think about it, like the first record was Rapper's Delight in 1979, and it's like party and joke and you know i'm rapping to the beat and we're gonna yeah. try to move your feet you know yeah, it's, yeah. but it's, it's it's not i mean it's not a bunch of uh bling and cars stuff but it is kind of shallow yeah you yeah, know and yeah. fun and part it's a party rap and then you get the message grandmaster flash and the furious fives a couple years later and that's like social criticism of yeah. like poverty and inequality and um you know challenges of of black people living in new york and um you know how difficult upward mobility is and things mm-hmm. like that so mm-hmm. I, I think like right from the beginning there's been like a socially conscious vein and a commercial party vein yeah, yeah. and all of the cars and bling and scantily clad women are continuing the party tradition yeah you know and and that's where gangster rap has tended to go although lots of gangster rap is socially conscious as well but yeah i mean i my my lane in hip-hop has always been in the more conscious Mm. side obviously um but i also don't dismiss uh like shallow rap or materialistic rap because i think that's um that's actually kind of like core to the culture in a way. Mm. I, I, there's some people that have a conspiracy theory about like, you know, it's all manufactured by A&Rs and A&Rs wanted to sell some commercialized vision of hip hop to the general public. So they like mm. force people to act more gangster. And I don't, I don't really buy that actually. I think that's like, that's like speaks on something that's real in African-American communities in mm. the U.S. That, ha- that has been there and that are, those are challenges of poverty. And actually I have a whole section in my uh, Rap Guide to Evolution show about um, competitions for status in various environments mm. and how you know the people in the affluent white neighborhoods, their kids are competing for status by trying to get into the best college or by you know trying to get the best internship at McKinsey or whatever, um, and and you know those some of those lanes are not available in impoverished mm. neighborhoods. So becoming like the king of the hood, be- becoming like the high yeah. the, the person with the, right? with like you know the most credible threat of a violent deterrent response that can actually be your main lane to status, and you know people are instinctively attracted to status, whether yeah. that is a dominance or a prestige form. And being a great lyricist is a way to get status yeah. in an environment where there's not a lot of lanes available. It's like Biggie yeah, Smalls yeah. said, right? Either you're selling crack rock or you got a wicked jump shot, yeah. but the lanes are much more limited. Yeah. Uh, and I really, I respect hip hop as an art form that gave a lane to a lot of people that felt yeah. they had no lane. And yeah. I can never claim that. You know, I, yeah. I was in university when I started rapping and it was like, you know, the world is your oyster, son. What do you want to do? Be a doctor, be a lawyer. Like yeah. I was, I got good grades and I could have done any of that. And I was like, yeah. no, I want to rap that. Like, I just <laughs> love this art form and I want to rap, but I could never claim that I was forced into it by lack of opportunity. What did your parents say when you said, I want to rap? Um, they of course encouraged me because they're like liberal Canadian parents that tell their children they can be anything. Mm. And then karma comes back and hits them because <laughs> If you tell your kid they can be anything, then they might say, I want to be a rapper. And then you look like a hypocrite <laughs> if you tell them. I didn't mean that one. <laughs> um, but, but also, um, you know, I think they respected the fact that I was trying to do something new with rap. Yeah. And, and, I, and I always could see the, the um, danger of becoming a stereotypical, like, white kid trying to pretend that he had a gut ghetto upbringing and acting black. And I didn't yeah. want to be that. I wanted to, like, try yeah. to find a way to make hip hop authentic to where I came from and, yeah. and my own yeah. personality. Yeah. And this sort of hyper bookish literary science rap seemed like a way to do that. Yeah. 
while bringing my own perspective to it in each project. So, um, you know, I think part of the reason people within the culture that have interacted with me and African-Americans and, you know, people that are closer to the heart of where it started respect what I'm doing is because they yeah. see that I'm doing it authentically yeah. to where I come from yeah. and not trying to fake my background. Exactly. And doing sort of conscious, I guess, uh, coming from, from that background of trying to make it more caring and conscious can also open you up to criticism from the other angle. Like you're not good enough and you're flying too much and doing all these shows and you're using all this production value. And Do you mean from a climate change perspective? From a climate change perspective, yeah. yeah. That thing we haven't talked about yet in the whole interview. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, well, that, I mean, that's one of the things I wanted to address on the record because I do feel like in my, in my industry, in my career path, there's a direct correlation between how successful I am and how much my emissions go up. Yeah. It's like a one-to-one -one relationship. And it, and it also is the case that people in the highest socioeconomic brackets are the highest emitters yeah. and, and, and vice versa for lower brackets. And, you know, that... That is a, that's the reason it's so hard because it's yeah. not decoupled. And, and most people don't want to be poorer. Yeah, people yeah. are willing to consume less for the climate, but they're not willing to produce less yeah. for the climate. And what we yeah. produce yeah. adds up to the same as what we consume. Yeah. Otherwise, we wouldn't produce it. You know, So I kind of really make that point clearly in the show, especially with that fossil fuel ballers track, yeah. um, that, yeah, yeah. You know, the, that I'm not giving up my job for climate change. And my guess is neither are you. Yeah. So we need to find a way to change the whole economy um, and, and where the sources of emissions are so people don't have to give up their jobs. Yeah. Because I feel like that's really the bottom line of climate action. Some people will. Kids will jump. Kids will drop out of school. <laughs> yeah. Kids will go protest and, and quit classes. But no one's quitting their job. Or the number of people who are willing to quit a job they love is so small that yeah. that's an outlier personality trait. Yeah. Or a job they need. Like a lot of people, they, yeah. they haven't got the... They haven't got the money saved up or, or, or the, you know, the, 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 the qualifications to know that they can get something afterwards. Mm -hmm. So they kind of need to keep doing that yeah. one, two or three jobs. Which is where the clash with the libertarians and the conservatives come from. Mm -hmm. Because if your argument is that respond climate change requires government to reinvest in industries and retrain people and there's no mm -hmm. solution that's going to work from a bottom-up uh, laissez-faire perspective, then they stop listening. Yeah, yeah. Or they say, well, then the science must be wrong because yeah. we cannot accept that political outcome. Yeah. Um, which, I mean, but the science isn't wrong. <laughs> and there yeah. is no other political outcome that's going to work yeah, besides yeah, government yeah. intervention, which is why I come down so heavily on carbon taxes yeah. and, and the sort of fee and dividend option or cap and trade or, you know, a mix of them can work, but at least there's a conservative market-based economic response happening yeah. there that lots of conservatives are on board with. You know, government doesn't have to be in, in every aspect of the economy. It just has to reorient the incentive structures and yeah. let the market work it out. Yeah. yeah. So having someone like Trump um, in charge of America is a, a little bit frustrating because that ain't going to happen. Well, even even conservatives realize that he's got terrible policies. Yeah. You know, it's it, there's a cult of personality right now in the Republican Party where mm. people forget all of their principles and agree with whatever Trump says. Yeah. Um, but people that have previous, I mean, it's really funny to watch the news in the U.S. now because they just constantly play quotes from senators yeah. from 10 years ago. I believe this. And then they play a quote from today where they say the exact opposite thing because Trump said it. Yeah. And it's become this like, yeah. Just rank hypocrisy yeah. um, all the way down, but but some, but not for everyone. So there's there are conservatives who go, we don't agree with this guy, yeah. and the you know that that's the 
principles-based response. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> or the patriotic one as well at this yeah. point. Yeah. I, I want to play a song quickly, which is uh, a, a relatively new one called Redemption. This is not on my Rap Guide to Climate Chaos record. Uh, <laughs> Redemption is a, a new commission track that's going to be on my next album. Um, and it was um, a, an, an editorial advisor to the National Climate Assessment Report from the U.S. government, um, which assesses climate impacts within the states, not globally, in terms of economic and human costs. And mm-hmm. then um, this uh, Dr. Gary Yo is this climate economist at Wesleyan, and he reached out and said, We've got this document. It's comprehensive. It's the U.S.-based climate impacts. Trump has already proclaimed that he doesn't believe it. Could yeah. you summarize it and like <laughs> tell him what it says? And this is peer-reviewed by Dr. Yo. Wow. Okay, yeah. let's have a listen. Oh, cinnamon, where you gonna run to? Oh, cinnamon, where you gonna run to? Oh, cinnamon, where you gonna run to on that day? Okay, Mr. President. Let's get into it. The fourth climate assessment is a definitive synthesis of the evidence. Have you read it yet? It's your report straight from the executive. It says right here, produced by the White House. I've got summary notes for you to write down. You might want to lie down or raise an eyebrow. People are dying in America right now from high-powered supercharged hurricane torrents in the five category or the four like Florence. A hundred-year storm every year is historic, but you just ignore it because your gut tells a different story so you go to california like a tourist when the place is scorched and say they ought to rake the forest you don't read climate change reports hot things burn more agent orange and if you're waiting for an economic incentive the vulnerable sector losses are documented in the hundreds of billions and you're on twitter every time an immigrant gets a parking ticket what's wrong mr president did you confuse the climate with the weather weather is like your mood even you can have a minute of benevolent cool your temperament stays narcissistic and rude And the climate stays getting hotter on a cold day Okay, you're trying to hold your base But there's snowflakes, even they will go away When the special prosecutor shows his whole case So brace yourself for the impact friction Trying to bring back Nixon, skin bag edition You got elected as a big tactician But Cinnamon, you can't run from redemption Oh Cinnamon, where you gonna run to? Oh Cinnamon, where you gonna run to? That's um, isn't that the third one that you've done about Donald Trump? Yes, that they're a series, and they were all. <laughs> it's basically because the National Climate Assessment comes out every year. Yeah, I did one on the second, the third, and the fourth, yeah. um, each with a slightly different angle on it, and made them like a trilogy. And they're yeah, they're going to be on my my forthcoming record. How long has Trump got left in power? I would say uh, it's unlikely that he'll make it to the next election. I Otherwise, think. you've got you'll have to make seven or eight. <laughs> yearly, yeah, no, I think the trilogy is done. I'm not going to make another one of these because I yeah. think the case is made, and also, yeah. um, you know, it's it's the, the sands are shifting so quick in the political yeah, situation yeah, yeah. in the states. You know, I think if there was another song about climate change in U.S. policy, it'll be about what's next. Yeah, like he's he's gone as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, uh, but I would say that because I'm a liberal, I don't get to vote <laughs> I, either way. I'm I'm a um, Canadian citizen still. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So has was there much reaction to that? Because a lot of Trumpites are quite uh, aggressive. Well, it, on the Facebook version of it uh, got a diverse array of comments, let's mm-hmm. say. Um, and uh, yeah, it hasn't been crazy backlash. I, I had a, um, a video posted on Breitbart a few years ago, and there's more vitriol in the comments oh, okay. on that one. Yeah. yeah. Um, but 
yeah, it's, I put it out there in the culture and see what comes back. And the point is to have the conversation with people that have different views. Yeah. And when I do it off Broadway, which is right now, like once every week or two, yeah. um, you know, there's a whole open Q and a, and there's like, okay, this is the views of people in the U S on climate. There's people that are dismissive. Mm. There's people that are alarmed. There's people in between and the goal of creating a, a national consensus or an international consensus mm. that changes policies is to bring the people in this diverse spectrum of beliefs together. Yeah. So let's see how we can do that. That's the yeah. mentality. I think people appreciate that. Also, that there's a track on the album and in the show that I do that Lost in the Numbers piece yeah, um, yeah. where it's like, okay, here's what a professional climate contrarian will say about why mm. we shouldn't do anything. Let's really look at that argument yeah. closely. Yeah, I think the album does that really well. It like looks at all the different angles and also the hypocrisy of all the... Um, the fact that you can't live normally and earn money and be productive and not do some kind of level of harm and how you deal with that. It's conflicting um, for people, you know, people, people feel the guilt and the, and the challenge of it and actually generally just throw their hands up and don't yeah. know what to do. They're, you know, they're waiting for deliverance. And that track Redemption, you, um, you performed it with Extinction Rebellion. Um, whereabouts was that? It was at the Quaker Meeting House. Um, oh, in, in downtown Manhattan. Yeah, the yeah. Quakers. Uh, We've got one of those in London, in Central. Yeah, they yeah. and they, I think they do sort of politically diverse, uh, you know, they, there wasn't a religious component to the Extinction Rebellion event, but mm. they host events that are yeah, yeah. on board with progressive yeah. um, or like unifying messages, mm. which I think Extinction Rebellion is. Yeah, they're really on board with, because um, the, the one in London is near Euston Station mm. and they have sort of, lots of things about plastic pollution and lots of stuff about climate change in the in the library and the cafe there so they're quite in terms of um all the kind of religions out there they seem to be one of the branches that are most on board it was cool it was cool of them to let us film the video most of the filming of the video was inside the quaker meeting house as well and uh you know i hadn't thought of a religious setting for the video when writing the lyrics but it does have a kind of like cinnamon you know where you're gonna run to redemption's coming for you i kind of use like a a religious framing for how to think about uh the politics of climate change even though it's not really meant to be a yeah it's not it's not a metaphysical message Um, But I do feel like there's a moral case around climate change that people need to take seriously. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Your next album or the one you're releasing very, very soon, and it may be that it will have been released by the time this um, podcast comes out, is on culture. Okay, so I actually have another record that's coming out before Rap Guide to Culture, <laughs> which is what Redemption is going to be prolific. on. Yeah, um, I, I have an album that's um, that's a secret album. So now the question is whether the album comes out before you publish this podcast or whether people, <laughs> I just drop the, um, let the cat out of the bag. But I have a 13 track record um, that's just about various science topics I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, climate change, evolution and skepticism or like scientific rationalism are the main uh, themes of the very tracks but i'm just putting it out there for the fans basically like just for people that listen on spotify and want to hear new music um i'm also working on rap guide to culture i wouldn't anticipate the record will be done until the fall probably okay yeah didn't i also hear you had one about psychiatry or is that is that a consideration uh so there's a track on the new album uh which is going to be the the album's called sea from space to take the kind of like broad perspective on humanity and I, i like the scientific perspective for dilating the view and one of the songs on there is called um feelings for reasons and it's about the evolutionary origins of anxiety depression Mm -hmm. um you know a lot of the 
a lot of the mental illnesses that are treated by psychiatrists are yeah. actually instantiations of emotions that have pretty clear evolutionary rationales. Yeah. And in the modern environment, they can be um, triggered to more extreme degrees, or um, there can be a genetic component, um, mm -hmm. what they call a fitness cliff. So it's like adaptive for people to be right up on the edge of the cliff because of the benefits. But if it's 5% yeah, yeah. more, then you end up with schizophrenia yeah. or autism or yeah. something like that. So it's like thinking about what is the evolutionary explanation for the origins of really bad feelings and emotions yeah. and using that perspective to help to mitigate and, uh, and, yeah. and remedy them. I think it's also interesting to think about um, obviously as individual, as, as individuals, um, having certain disease or, um, like for example, autism or, or severe anxiety can be very, very, um, can be quite horrible as a, if you look at kind of humanity as an organism, some of the kind of the more extreme traits can actually be quite useful for society. Like some of the people who, um, you know, like the, the, the severe, like, um, activists who are kind of very, 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 very emotionally caught up. They may not function very well as individuals in society, but they're, they're very, very good, like an, almost like an immune system. They kind of drag hmm. the organism of humanity towards a new steady state. Right. Um, take, take the broad perspective and, and yeah. systematize it and then, you know, make the moral case. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I, I can see that. I, uh, you gotta be careful when it comes to evolution, whether you're making a, like a kind of pure group selection argument for where something came from, because obviously things don't evolve for the good of the species. Yeah. They evolve in, in competition with other traits, mm. either at the individual level, but sometimes also at the group level, if groups are out competing or replacing other groups, um, would group selection be able to produce maladaptive traits in individuals that were good for the group? I, I you know, you'd have to, it, it would be a mathematical question about how detrimental to individuals yeah. versus how beneficial to the group. Mm. Um, so, you know, I, want, I wonder if that's an explanation for, I've never heard that explanation for autism um, or, or schizophrenia or some of these traits before, but um, I'm going to have to go look that up Don't now. I'm a, I'm a total nerd for evolutionary modeling and explanations. So I always want to, I want to see who's working on that. <laughs> Sounds good. So where can people find you if they want to come and, um, and firstly get entertained and as a byproduct, get educated. So, um, I have all of my music on my website, bababrinkman.com, or if you just type in rap guide to Apple music or Spotify, um, you can have a whole education. I've got like a dozen records on the streaming services, uh, on various topics. And I am performing off Broadway at the Soho Playhouse regularly. Um, that's an ongoing residency. I'm also doing rap guide to culture at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival in August. Um, that's going to be the sort of main, main premiere for it. And yeah, I'm on tour. Yeah. Sounds brilliant. Um, just a couple of questions to kind of finish off. Um, so a question I often ask people is what if you could kind of go back 25 years and give a bit of advice to your younger self, what would you, given what you know now, like a back to the future kind of moment? Invest in real estate? <laughs> <laughs> Buy a house on a mountain? I don't know. I, I don't really have a lot of regrets about where I've ended up in life. You know, I feel like I, I feel like I kind of followed the path. Uh, 25 years is longer than I've been at this. Yeah, so yeah, maybe yeah. if you went back 25 years, I would be in my mid-teens and I would not have started rapping yet. And mm -hmm. then I would tell my younger self, 
it's going to work out. It'll be cool. You should go for it now. Because I feel like there was a bunch of years where I was a hip-hop fan, a hip-hop head. I listened, I memorized the lyrics, but I never wrote any rhymes and I never mm. performed any rap because I yeah. was like, that's their culture. Yeah. I respect the distinction between middle-class white Canadians and African-Americans yeah, yeah, um, yeah. from urban centers. And I will appreciate their art, but I will not try to appropriate it. Yeah. And then there was a certain point where I was like, well, maybe it's actually a universal art form and mm. it's adaptable to any cultural context. And then I started seeing people of multiple races doing it. Um, you know, and, and Vancouver is very multicultural. So it wasn't a black white thing. It was like, you know, the, in, the first nations people, there are really good yeah, with the yeah. hip hop culture. And, you know, I'd see Filipinos and Hondurans and I'd be like, Oh, like where, what shade of skin color are we drawing the line at now? Maybe <laughs> white people can do this. Uh, and then of course, uh, Eminem, but I started rapping before Eminem came out about a year before, Yeah, but I did, I mean, you know, I, if I'd started five years earlier, would I be more mainstream now? Maybe. But maybe I wouldn't have carved out the science niche either. Maybe yeah. I wouldn't have bothered finishing my master's degree before I went yeah. for it as a rapper. So yeah. I don't know. I, I think, uh, yeah, I think I think my career is kind of happening as it should. Yeah. I'm always trying to make it, it was bigger. It organic, wasn't it? I don't see anything I could have told myself to do 25 years ago that would, um, you know, that I couldn't just try doing now necessarily. Yeah. So that's why. Let's stay with invest in real estate. <laughs> you know, <laughs> borrow ten grand, put you know, put a down payment on a house, and uh, watch it increase in value <laughs> tenfold. Yeah, <laughs> that's what uh, that's what some people in Vancouver have done and yeah. lucked out from it. Yeah, absolutely. And sort of looking at the climate change thing from a you know from from a serious perspective, what what kind of what kind of gives you hope? For the future. Extinction Rebellion gives me hope. I mm -hmm. think people taking the challenge seriously enough to be willing to treat it with the, you know, with the urgency of other civil disobedience projects in the past. I yeah. think that, that really matters. I think yeah. that's what people did with apartheid and civil rights and gay marriage. And, yeah. um, you know, it's what's happening now with the... Uh, with the attack on abortion in the U.S. and yeah, I think yeah, you know, yeah. I think it's 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 that serious and more so for uh, people to take the climate crisis seriously. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I have young kids and I also don't have a U.S. passport, so I can't get myself arrested for climate change. I would get deported potentially really? from it. So I don't I don't go lay down in traffic, but I cheer people that do. Yeah. Uh, on, and um, I would say. Just political coalitions are mm. the most important thing at this point. Mm. Um, you know, the one thing I, I celebrate Pope Francis getting involved in um, the climate discussion with Laudato Si, but I want to see like he what he called technocratic yeah. fixes. He was kind of dismissive, like we need to go beyond technocratic fixes like mm. cap and trade and and um, carbon pricing and things. And I, I really would say those are extremely necessary. And yeah. you know, they're not sufficient, but we shouldn't dismiss them. And um, places. Places are implementing. The Canada has a national carbon tax now. Yeah. Um, hopefully, it bears out in the election that's coming up. But that's that's how it's going to, uh, you know, if it's electorally beneficial, I think the evidence is in that it works for the drawdown of emissions. Yeah. Um, you know, whether it people whether political coalitions can survive the implementation of carbon pricing is the main question, not mm -hmm. whether it works. Yeah. As far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Um, you know what actually really inspires me is this image that just came out in The Guardian about how the UK got off coal in the last 10 years. Have you seen mm. this thing? Where it's like number of days 
of completely coal-free oh, yeah, power in that. the UK, yeah. right? It's like now it's like ten days and counting, yeah. where zero percent of the electricity comes from coal, yeah. and it was like a huge piece of the pie ten to fifteen years ago. Yeah. So, you know, countries can do that at the policy level, yeah. and uh, they just need they just need to choose to. And how about artists like yourself? Um, I inspire myself every day. What kind of <laughs> <laughs> what kind of role do you guys have? Because um, you're more of a subtle, like you're like you're, you work on a, a, a more subtle level than sort of the activists in the face. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm not kind of like rah rah Mother Earth in my messaging. I'm like, let's look at the options here and take the smartest course of action, um, which sometimes does end up boiling down to rah rah Mother Earth. <laughs> but that's just my, you know, I have an analytic personality like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I think uh, I think some other artists might inspire people more in the sense of like, I feel moved to act now, and then they need to listen to my record to figure out what to do. <laughs> I, you know, I I'm I'm making I'm making music for people that want to have a thoughtful response. Yeah, not just a you know not just a visceral one. Yeah. Although you got to have a visceral one too. Yeah. Um. So I don't know. I I, I try to be. Uh, to, manage my expectations about how much of a cultural impact I can have. Yeah. I get people commenting on my videos on YouTube saying you changed my mind about something mm. or, you know, this is so inspiring. The world needs more of this. That's, you know, that's motivating for me. Yeah, that must, um, feel, that must feel Going good. platinum would be more motivating for me. <laughs> Winning a Grammy <laughs> would be cool. It, we'll work on uh, it. <laughs> but I, I, I don't expect that to happen. And I'm very happy to have um, an unexpected niche in the entertainment industry. You may go platinum in 10 years time when everyone looks back and thinks, oh, that guy was doing it all along. Yes, posthumously. <laughs> cool, well, it was great to meet you. Yeah, thanks for, uh, thanks for the chat. Thanks for listening today. If you want to hear more about today's guests, check out the show notes at thegreenpill.org and tune in next time for John Gilbo, co-patron of Population Matters with Sir David Attenborough and Dame Jane Goodhall and Professor of Family Planning. The Green Pill is edited by Kazra Ferrugia, produced by James Bishop and is part of the One Fine Play Podcast Network. You can find me on Dr. Chris Newman on Twitter and Instagram. Until next time, see ya.